Welcome to week 7 of Counseling 506. Our topic for this week is Sin, Confession, and Redemption in Counseling. This is an area that is unique to Christian counseling. And as we explore in this lecture, counseling from a secular point of view does not include a worldview that would even speak of sin. It does speak of a concept of sin, but not of sin. When looking at the integrative concepts that we have endeavored to put together for this course, we want you to be well informed as Christian counselors regarding psychology, theology, and spiritual formation, and about the meta-theories that represent these disciplines. So now we're going to suggest some language that might be used to talk about sin and the dynamics related to sin. For instance, in the language of psychology, a psychologist would speak of psychopathology. They would speak of sin as a sickness and would speak in terms of external attribution. By this they mean that the responsibility for the sickness lies outside that person's control. It's not their fault. From the perspective of Christian spirituality, we speak of sin. We speak of personal responsibility, which is an internal attribution. And there are two types of sin. One is the personal experience of sin that occurs when we make sinful choices. The other is sin with a capital S, which refers to the universal human experience of fallenness and brokenness and alienation from God. In theological terms, we speak of evil. This is a cosmic attribution. Here, it is believed that the nature of the world is evil. That even in the perfect Garden of Eden, the serpent was there. So they speak in concepts such as natural evil versus moral evil, or the fallenness found in the world versus the evil in individual lives and choices that people make. Have you ever wondered whatever became of sin? We don't hear sin discussed much from the pulpits anymore, and very little perhaps in the counseling room, but it is an important subject. On this slide, there are a number of dynamics under the heading of concept of sin, which is a psychological term. It's the notion of unhealthy guilt dynamics. This is where a therapist is working with a client who is suffering from the effects of immoral behavior or behavior that has contradicted this person's conscience, but the therapist feels that they are burdened with guilt. So the real problem is not the behavior of the individual, but the way the person thinks about their behavior. Psychologists such as Albert Ellis would agree with this concept of sin. Right and wrong are seen as the way the individual perceives them to be because there are no absolute right and wrong. So in the psychological model, the goal of counseling is to minimize one's sensitivity to sin, to help them feel less guilty and feel less ashamed, to be okay with who they are and to accept their behavior. Now look at the theological concept of sin and a representation of the dynamics that come out of a Christian worldview. 
The Bible speaks many times of the universal human condition of sin. In Romans 3.23, Paul writes, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And while sin is a universal problem, it is also a personal problem. Personal sin is the cause of our cognitive and emotional problems, not the other way around. This is called an internal attribution. Now it is true that sometimes people suffer with cognitive and emotional problems through no fault of their own. Sometimes people have physical problems which lead to all sorts of bad behavior which causes them problems. A prime example would be those who suffer with bipolar disorder, a serious mental disorder that creates all sorts of behavioral problems. Do people often engage in sin when they're bipolar? Of course, but much of their problem stems from an illness from which they have no responsibility. Another idea is that right and wrong are matters of God's law. They are not individually determined, but are objective truths. From the perspective of theology, sin is the problem in our lives. So the goal of counseling is to heighten our sensitivity to sin, to help lead us into confession and repentance of our sins. As Christians, when we speak about sin, we speak of sin with a capital S, which is the universal experience of sin and fallenness in this world, but also sin with a little s, or sins that we commit on a personal level. Original sin involves the matter of human heredity, going all the way back to Adam. All of us have struggled with a core rebellion towards God because we are fallen and are under the shadow of universal sin. This involves our falling short of the glory of God. We are not where God intended us to be, and until we're resurrected in our new bodies, we will always fall short of His glory. Another problem humanity has is our inclination towards some type of idolatry. Idolatry is having anything or anyone in the central place in our lives instead of God. For some people it is money, for others it is sex, for some it is work, for others it is fame. So idolatry becomes another expression of universal sin. All people are alienated from God at some level. Outside of Christ we are not only alienated from God, but from ourselves and from other people. It is only in Christ that we find the reconciliation that we all require to live lives of stability. And original sin leads to a cycle of perversion in our lives. Notice the text from the first chapter of Romans, where Paul writes of the idolatry of nature by people, which then led to a cycle of perversion. This is what idolatry sets into motion, leading to all sorts of perverse acts. Now let's look at some descriptions of what it means to suffer in personal sin. Personal sin is a choice, an expression of our inner rebellion towards God. Sometimes that rebellion takes the form of active disobedience. But it can also become a numbness or insensitivity to God in leading our lives 
When we sin, God designed us to feel appropriate guilt. Not the neurotic guilt for something we have not done, but an appropriate guilt for our sin behavior. Personal sin involves the fact that every person is self-deceived at some level. Every person deals with not being fully honest with God, with ourselves, or with others. Because of that deception, sin leads to bondages. The Bible is very clear that we're either a slave of Christ or we're a slave to sin. And the more we engage in sin, the more enslaved and more in bondage we become. Personal sin also leads to cycles of lovelessness and prayerlessness. The chart in front of you labeled attributional style is to give you some thoughts and ways of categorizing the whole notion of personal responsibility or ways in which we attribute responsibility for the behavior of people. For those who lean toward an external attributional style, they would see that they have little or no freedom in their behavior. In terms of being responsible, they are in fact the victim, and the emotional response that they would seek from you, the counselor, would be one of sympathy. And because of these factors, they feel that they have been victimized by others, that other people or circumstances are at fault. For those who have an internal attributional style, they see themselves as having the freedom to choose. The choices they have made were their choices, so they are responsible for their actions. Because of their freedom and responsibility, their emotional response is likely to be one of anger and blame, or guilt and shame. The causation is themselves since they understand that they are responsible for what has happened. The third column is the cosmic attribution style. Here, since we also have the freedom to choose, if we sin, we begin to lose our freedom. We become slaves to sin. In terms of responsibility, people admit that we're totally dependent on God and that without God, we really are helpless. So, when we sin, our emotional response is one of conviction and a desire for forgiveness. And since the whole human race has fallen, we all fall short of the glory of God. Let's bring McMinn's counseling map into this again. In considering client self-awareness, we want to help clients become aware of their attributional style. In counseling, who does the client believe is responsible for the problems they are having? Do they see themselves as responsible or being internal? Or do they blame others, leaning more externally? Does God figure into their situation, being more cosmic? Does the client have a sense of right and wrong, or some sense of conscience and moral development? What are their theistic or humanistic values? Who's responsible for their problems? For instance, do they believe in a sovereign God who has a moral standard? Or is it more humanistic, where people have grown up believing that human beings are in charge of their own lives and in charge of the world, 
and are completely free-functioning individuals? Are there any bondage and addiction issues? Part of what drives addictions is the denial that there really is a problem. They believe that they are in control and so make rational explanations for their problem behavior. Moving to the client's awareness of needs, are they seeking to be okay or be forgiven? In other words, do they simply want to feel better about themselves? Are they hoping that you'll see their situation through the concept of sin perspective, that you will help to reduce their guilt and their inner angst about their sin? Or are they sincerely repentant, taking responsibility for their behavior and seeking to be forgiven? Is the client feeling remorse or feeling repentant? People are often remorseful because they got caught in their sin and because they fear the consequences and the punishment that they now will face. We want to help clients to move beyond simply feeling remorseful and to help them experience true repentance, that desire to change their self-centered life for reconciliation with God and with other people. Do they have an awareness of their need for God? Or are they focused on counseling as being the ultimate solution? As Christian counselors, we want clients to see that counseling is only a tool, only a pathway to God. We want to help them become more aware of their need for God, not for us. Do our clients accept the consequences for their actions? And do they express a willingness to accept responsibility for any harm they may have caused other people? As we finish up this segment, let's now look at healing relationships, where one of the indicators to look for is the client's openness to discuss moral matters of conscience. Are they willing to talk about how they really feel about the rightness or wrongness of what they've done? Are they moving toward confessing their sins? Is there an honesty on the part of the client? Are they capable of being honest about things that are painful, perhaps shameful, maybe illegal? This is the key point, because if they cannot be honest with themselves and honest with us, they will not be honest with God, so true healing can really take place. How do they handle confrontation? Can we actually use the sin word without them getting mad and angry so that they can begin to heal? Is the client open to some form of penance if it is appropriate and called for? Do they desire to do what they can to repair any harm they may have caused other people? Well, this concludes Lecture 1 of Week 7, and I encourage you to review the concepts on sin that we have discussed.